Hi, it's the creator, host, and producer of Evermore Poe, Chris Kosach. As you know, our story is based on the real-life account and mostly untold story of Edgar Allan Poe's teen years, for which I spent more than a decade researching as more like 20 years, to be honest. Be sure to stay tuned after this episode to learn the facts in the case of Mr. Poe, where I share exactly what is true in today's story. And trust me, there's a bunch. Before we get started, though, I'd really like to thank you for your overwhelmingly positive response to this tale. Please be sure to follow this podcast so you're one of the first to know when there's an update. And I'll be ever more grateful, see what I did right there, if you'll kindly share my story with your friends. So with no further ado, let's get started. This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent and tragic youth of Edgar Allan Poe. That night, the images ran deep. Eddie relived the incident at the canal. Only in the nightmares, he was the victim. Worse yet, he imagined someone, or more precisely something, dragging him to the bottom. The nightmare was as real as anything he'd known. There he was, at the bottom of the water, looking up, ripples dancing on the surface above. He reached up to break free of the water, only to find it slipping further away as he sank. There was no sound. No hero came. All was lost. Eddie lunged awake, questioning whether the whole ordeal, the water, the boy, was itself a hallucination or a byproduct of whatever mystery liquor was in the flask that Preston had stolen from his father. But Eddie's aching muscles, pounding headache, and the still wet towel lying over a chair removed all doubt. It was all very real. The rooster crowed and the son entered his room. Oof, he said, crawling out of bed. He wanted to throw up. Eddie managed to pull himself together, first by dressing in a clean, spare academy uniform, and then by descending the front stairs with all the energy he could muster, as if he weren't entirely hungover. Good morning, ladies, he said to his foster mother, the petite Frances Allen, and her live-in sister, Miss Nancy Valentine. Neither seemed to notice anything wrong. Pa was absent as usual, likely already at the office, working on importing or exporting whatever new merchandise Ellis and Allen was dealing in next. As Eddie left for school, it crossed his morbid curiosity to revisit the spot where he had saved the boy at Huxle Canal, so he took a left and walked towards the warehouses. However, when he arrived, the area was hardly the foreboding place it had been the night before. Mill workers were scattered everywhere. People shouted. Hardware clanked. Eddie remembered a line coined from his favorite poet, Lord Byron. Something about truth being stranger than fiction. He contemplated his hero for the rest of his walk to school. Mr. Joseph H. Clark's English and Classical Academy for Boys was housed in a neoclassical building in the style that Thomas Jefferson found so appealing when he helped to design the city. Massive columns lined its facade, crowned by an ornate frieze. A sprawling green lawn made the building appear formal when it wasn't inhabited by boys playing any number of sports. Eddie looked for the boy, Robert Stannard, but he didn't see him. The school's namesake rang his brass bell from the top of the stairs. Headmaster Clark wasn't like other teachers. Where most demanded attention, he commanded it. His lessons were always interesting, punctuated with humor and open to spirited debate. As the shingle outside the prep school suggested, he taught the classics, science, Latin, rhetoric, and math. But his favorite subject, by far, was literature. 
Rich wood paneling and impossibly high ceilings detail the interior of the school, with ornate moldings and coffered ceilings throughout. Along one length of the classroom ran tall windows looking out onto the James River. Together, these details gave the room a regal feel, more akin to a university than a college prep school. The desks, two students per, were made of gleaming mahogany befitting the handsome young gentry who sat behind them. A who's who of Richmond's finest families began to take their seats. Matthew Sully was the nephew of the famous portrait artist. Channing Moore's father was the bishop of Monumental Church. Creed Thomas could trace his ancestry to the Mayflower. Eddie's friends Andrew Johnston, Nat Howard, Jack Preston, and Rob Cobble all peppered throughout the room, along with Tom Ellis, son of John Allen's business partner and family friend John McKenzie. Like Tom, John McKenzie had been a constant in Eddie's life, only their relationship was a bit more complicated. When Edgar's biological mother, stage actress Eliza Poe, died in a run-down boarding house, the do-gooding ladies of Richmond's high society took it upon themselves to decide the fates of the deceased woman's three orphaned children. The eldest, Henry, was old enough to protest and was sent to live with the Poe grandparents in Baltimore. But because they were elderly and still living on a pension from the military, the two smallest children required charity. Eddie was taken in but not adopted by local merchant John Allen and his wife Frances, while the baby Rosalie was adopted by the Mackenzies. This made the relationship between Eddie and the Mackenzie boys strained, with each boy claiming Rosalie as their sibling, one by blood and the other by law. Eddie's fractured family was too head-spinning to think about, so he did his very best to repress it altogether. Good morning, gentlemen, Head Cl Headmaster Clark began. Good morning, sir, the class sang out in chorus. For the better part of the year, we've been reading the staples of classic literature. As our year together comes to an end, I believe it only fitting to discuss why these works are considered classics in the first place. What traits do they all share? Yes, Mr. Preston? Sir, they're all old. A rumble of laughs rose throughout the room. Very funny, Mr. Preston. What I believe you are trying to say is that a classic has longevity. <clears throat> yes, Mr. Howard. You had your hand up. They're always popular, sir. True. The classic has universal appeal, which brings us to another hallmark of a classic, namely that it must contain some truth. Classics are often influenced by history. What patterns do you see, gentlemen? Eddie put his hand up hesitantly. Uh, sir, a classic has some unique artistic merit. Well done, Mr. Allan Poe. A classic work sets itself apart from others and leads to a meaningful effect. This is usually positive, but it can also be negative so long as it stays with you. Take, for example, the tragedy of Julius Caesar. Shakespeare was influenced by a public figure, in this case, the ghost of Caesar. From there, he wove in historical facts from Caesar's reign, including his infamous assassination, which involved his former ally, Brutus, hence some basis to truth. Here then, gentlemen, what are some examples of truth you see in fictional works? Several hands went up around the room. Robinson Crusoe. Excellent choice. Defoe's novel was an inspired account of a Scottish sailor's abandonment on a deserted island. 
The true story, I'm afraid, isn't as poetic as the novel. Sources say that sailor was found babbling when they came back for him three years later, hardly an epic hero. But I digress. What else do you have for me, gentlemen? Uh, Gulliver's Travels? Splendid! Jonathan Swift's story was a social commentary on the religious and political climate of the day. Next. What about Frankenstein? Edgar said confidently. Ah, yes, the headmaster said, exasperated. I expected one of you to bring up that trash. Mark my words, gentlemen, that book will never stand the test of time. Nevertheless, even your beloved Frankenstein was influenced by some very real and thankfully unsuccessful medical experiments conducted in recent years, not to mention the philosophical issue of church versus science. Furthermore, as it happens, Miss Shelley's father is a well-known political philosopher, as is her mother. Therefore, I would presume they are no strangers to this particular controversy. Nevertheless, Mr. Allan Poe, nice try, Headmaster Clark said with a smirk. And the list goes on, gentlemen. Candide, Canterbury Tales, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, all inspired by true events. Which brings us to your final assignment of the school year. You will each identify a work of literature as a classic using the criterion we have discussed here today. You may choose any book you like, including your beloved Frankenstein, but know this, you will have to defend your choice, including what you believe to be its inspiration. Footnotes and references will be required. Clark's assignment was well received, and by lunchtime, all the boys were engrossed in discussion over which book to choose for their final report. Most selected popular titles, and for a moment, Eddie did too. Then he had a better idea. One story above all others was perfect, undoubtedly a classic, not to mention one of Clark's literary essentials, but it was also delightfully macabre, weaving together magic, revenge, and the supernatural. It was a top grade waiting to happen. Eddie was sure of it. Best of all, the assignment would finally give him an excellent and socially acceptable excuse to explore ghosts, magic, and witchcraft. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.
Hi, everyone. Chris here. Thank you so much for listening to another chapter of Evermore Poe. I wanted to add in today's facts in the story of Mr. Poe, all those wonderfully true things that we talked about today. One of the things that got me interested in starting this story about Eddie's journey into the macabre was the fact that I had read a very, very old biography on him. It's out of print. In it, it said that Eddie had been hilarious and popular, a real woman's man, even when he was a teenager. But one of the things that is absolutely true is that Eddie did save Robert Stannard from drowning. And I wanted to mention that he was an amazing swimmer as well. Furthermore, Eddie was also writing at a very, very young age, and he may or may not have written a lot of dark tales, but we do know one thing is true. He was definitely attracted to gothic stories, everything from Walpole to Washington Irving's Tale of the Headless Horseman. We know that he read that. But among all of the writers of the day, Shelley and and Polidori, among all of those people, It's very well documented that one of Eddie's very favorite authors, if not the favorite, was Lord Byron. Now, it was Lord Byron's house that Percy Shelley and Polly Dory and Mary Shelley were all out during the year without a summer. That's because a huge volcano had erupted on the other side of the planet, and the ash was so bad that it rained down even in Europe and took the sun away that entire summer. That had also been the summer that Lord Byron had the money, of course he did, to get a huge mansion on a lake in Switzerland. And he had his friends over to do what else? Party, drink, and tell ghost stories. My kind of guy. So as we get into the story of Eddie's love for the macabre, it only seemed fitting that we'd talk a little bit about his favorite author and his introduction to the gothic. That's all for now, my friends. We'll catch you again next time on Evermore Poe. Thanks again for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow and most importantly, share this story with your friends. I'll never ask you for money, but you can pay me in shares and and reviews too. I'd be really grateful for that. So thank you so much. Always feel free to reach out to me. I love to hear from you. Thank you. Ta-ta for now.